Our reading is from the Gospel of Mark as we continue on. This is the last major event in the life of Jesus and his disciples before they enter the city of Jerusalem. And because we've read ahead, we know where that's heading. This is what happens on the way. They came to Jericho and as he is and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. This is a great story. It's a very compassionate story about a miracle that happens to a man in need. It's a story that we could see as a call to each of us as individuals to ask that very important and deeply powerful question, what is it that you want? Sometimes I can't even answer that question when it comes to whether I want a cup of tea or not. But if I think very deeply, what is it that I want? It's a very, very powerful question to ask, isn't it? And maybe a very disturbing question, because what if what I want is nothing like what I have? How will I deal with that? It's a call to have faith. And in having faith, becoming well. So it's a, it's a very individual story, but if we just leave it there, we're kind of missing huge amounts that, of the reason that this story is where it is. It's not wrong to remember that it's a story about an individual going from essentially cultural death as a beggar to life. But it's a bit of the difference between having a quick bite to eat and setting up for Christmas lunch. You get to eat both ways, but one is quite different than the other. Our culture is relentlessly individualistic. It's not good or bad, it just is. That's where our culture has gotten to. When I think about how to deal with the world, I think about it primarily from my point of view, me individually. I try to connect in with the people I love, but it's it's about me. That's what I've learnt, that's what my parents learnt and their parents right back to, you know, depending on when you want to um, start to establish it, but certainly major changes uh, after the, uh, the Renaissance and then into the Industrial Revolution where we moved away in our culture from the idea that the family was the base unit of society to the individual. Not all cultures do that. 
in indigenous cultures in Australia, as you get to know indigenous people, you can realise at least on the edge that they think about the world quite differently. Their interconnectedness with each other and with the land means that their first thought may not be, what does this mean for me, but what does this mean for us? It's a deep interconnection, something that I kind of get a, a bit of a glimpse of intellectually but have no deep meaning and understanding of. And I recognise in some of my Indigenous friends how difficult it is for them to live in two cultures uh, and, and to, to establish themselves as Western individuals because that's how we have to live and still deeply connected to people and land that tells them who they are and how they are. The book of Acts actually picks up this because you might have noticed if you read the book of Acts, there's a number of times where people um, speak to the apostles and be, are convicted by the experience that they're having that maybe the, the experience of God that they've had in the past has now become something deeply real and, and um, full of emotion and, and, and energy. And then they say, me and my household, we're all saved now. We're all... Because the idea that an individual would do things by themselves just wouldn't have made any sense. But because we're individuals, and again, say nothing wrong with it, it's just the way our culture has evolved. We're taller now than we used to be. There's nothing right or wrong about being taller, we just are. And we can have, we've got lots of reasons why we know that to be true, of how it began, but it just is. But if we just think about ourselves individually, we miss these stories and the depth of them. And here's one way into this one. We're at Jericho. Or actually, we're just outside of Jericho. It's one of the most important cities in the ancient world. It's probably the oldest inhabited, continuously inhabited city on the planet. So why does Mark tell us about it and then give us nothing at all? They came to Jericho. Great, we're in Jericho. And as they were leaving, the disciples in the large group... What happened in Jericho? It's like saying, well, I, I went to New York and then um, I was leaving New York and I went, well, wait a minute, how was New York? You'd never been there before. Did you see the, the statue of the woman holding the thing and, you know, all that? Why, why have we got, why are we knowing about this but not knowing anything about it? Well, people used to think that Mark's gospel was a bit slapdash. It's written in ordinary Greek, not the high Greek that you would write in if you were trying to impress other academics. It's written in ordinary Greek. And so it's probably a bit slapdash. So maybe he just had something in there and forgot to put it in. But that changed about a 100 years ago. People started to think about Mark's gospel differently and realised it was actually tightly woven and intricately written. And it's a, it's, there's so many beautiful patterns in it that are difficult for us to understand so when it's something is there or something is not there, we ought to pay attention. Jericho, to the Jews who were listening to Jesus, was the beginning of the promised land. That's where the story says they entered the promised land. It was in Jericho where they had their first major battle that they won. And you know, you know the story. Anybody who went to Sunday school knows the story of Jericho, right? They walked around it seven times. They shouted out. And the walls came down. I mean, if you're a Sunday school teacher, that's a, that's a gift. Get out the Lego. You know, it's, it's all there for you, isn't it? This story was not just a Sunday school story. It was deeply a part of the people that Jesus was talking to. Everybody knew Jericho. Everybody knew the story of Jericho. 
people were told to march around and shout after seven times marching around and the walls would fall down and they did and it did. Now I don't know what actually happened. This is the story that they carried with them in their culture. And now here we are outside of Jericho again. And someone else is shouting. But it's quite a different shout, isn't it? Who's shouting this time? Not the combined armies and people of Israel marching around with the priest blowing the horn, the chauffeur and all of that. Some old guy. Well, he might not have been old, who knows. But a beggar, who cares how old he is? He's a beggar. He's on the, he's blind. A nobody. He's the one shouting. Anyone reading this for the first time in Jewish culture is going to make these links. So what's going on here? What kind of promised land are they entering? What, what kind of walls are going to fall down this time somebody shouts? And this is underlined because Bartimaeus shouts, Son of David! No one else shouts, and no one else uses that term in anywhere in the gospel. Why suddenly, some blind beggar shouting out, Son of David, everybody knew what that meant too. That was shorthand, it was another word for Messiah. Saviour, the one who was going to change everything and revolutionise the world, get rid of the overlords, this time the Romans, and change the world. That's what it meant. Now we have all kinds of phrases, don't we, for, for things that, that we just know what they mean. So if I say to you that the, uh, last night the White House said, if you don't know anything about American politics or the world, you would think, why is he saying that a house is speaking, why does it matter what colour it is? You know, we know what it means. This is these sorts of phrases. They have deep resonance. And for someone to be shouting this out, not only could be very frightening, because the Romans were everywhere, but he's shouting it out on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the city of David. It's the city that David, the the Warrior, and then David the king established. It was the city that was going to be the, the original light on the hill. The place of God present in not only Israel, but the whole world. It was this resonant sort of place. And David conquered to make his kingdom. In fact, the whole story of the falling of the walls of Jericho is hideous. Because not only did the walls fall down, but the people say that God told them to go in and slaughter everyone. Men, women, children and animals. And David, in order to establish the kingdom, had to slaughter many people, had to clear the people out. These are terrible stories, terrible indictments on humanity. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Somebody has just shouted out about Jericho. But it's a blind beggar. There's a whole other story being told here. It's kind of hidden. But you have to unpick it. And when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he'll go there without any power at all. In the next bunch of readings, the only other time in the gospel that the word David appears, people are standing by the side of the road, throwing their cloaks down, and Jesus is riding past on a donkey. And they hail him the return of David, essentially. The longing they have for some change and renewal. But it won't happen. Jesus will be confronted 
by Pilate and ignore the power that Pilate has, just won't even bother to speak to him. All his friends will desert him. Even God will desert him because on the cross when he's being crucified, he calls out in Mark's gospel, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But somehow, out of all of that mess, is going to come this new kingdom. This upside down kingdom. When Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want? It can seem like a very strange question to ask somebody who's blind and begging on the side of the road. Pretty straightforward. Given that Jesus had a reputation as a healer and could do things that were miraculous, you wouldn't think you would need to ask. But the story is here, regardless of the truth of Bartimaeus and and the truth of blind people becoming sighted people, the story is here to teach us a lesson. It's not wrong to see it as a story about Bartimaeus, but it's right to see it about him and about all of us. Because Jesus says your faith has made you well or your trust has made you well because Bartimaeus saw the world as it really was, not as it's supposed to have been, which is the way it's supposed to be is you shut up, sit there and do as you're told. We know you're a beggar, we know you're blind, that's your job. We'll run the world, thanks very much, because we're the ones that are walking between Jericho and Jerusalem. We know what to do. You be quiet. We're moving. But only Bartimaeus calls out, son of David. He saw the moment he was in. Maybe, I want to believe that he saw the inside. For someone who couldn't see, he saw deep, more deeply than anyone else there. That this was not going to be the takeover. Well, we throw this lot of tyrants out and, whoops, we've become tyrants too. It's going to be a completely different world. The last will be first and the first will be last, but all will be brought in. So many people of, so many of the alls that will be brought in, even a person at the bottom of the heap. How do you know what moment you're in? How do you know what experience that, that this moment is giving us that we should be full of an, in, an understanding so that we can live in it fully. I was at a uh, meeting the other day we were d- somehow got on to talking about the just war theory, the idea that it's right to, to, to take up arms in certain circumstances. And we tried to understand that, that these sort of decisions about whether you're a pacifist or not depends on the moment you're in. Doesn't it? I mean, nobody in their right mind, if they knew what had happened afterwards, what we, that we know, the hindsight... Nobody in their right mind would have taken up arms in the First World War. And nobody in their right mind, since we knew what happened, would not have taken up arms in the Second World War. Because these things had to be done the way they were done. And yet, of course they didn't have that then. How hard is it? And yet there were people in each of the, before each of those wars who had great insights into what was happening. They knew the moment they were in. Well, we're often just stumbling through as blind as Bartimaeus. But somehow he knew the moment he was in. We need that personal transformation that Bartimaeus is talking about, is experiencing in Jesus. But it's never just personal. It needs to be bigger. You know that famous Emma Lazarus quote? She's the woman whose epitaph, whose poetry words are on the base of the Statue of Liberty. And she said, Unless all of us are free, none of us are free. It's always got to be the big story that we're involved in, that we're drawn into. 
And that's exactly what happened to Bartimaeus. Jesus says, go, your trust has made you well. It is your experience of the world as it truly is and you're opening up to the presence of God in this moment. That's what's made you well. Now go. But he doesn't go. He follows Jesus because he recognises the moment he's in and he goes. Which leaves it kind of ragged because we each have to respond in our own way, don't we? We can... Ignore the story. We can be, say it's a lovely children's story like we can with the story of Jericho. Or we can see it as pointing to something that will, could deeply change our lives and radiate out into our community. So be it.